0: hey there everybody welcome to another episode of fear frequency this is episode 88 and if you're new here it's a show where two best friends talk about horror movies and video games every wednesday morning Uh, i plugged the show on my youtube channel yesterday so if you're new here welcome to the show we didn't have an episode last week there's like a message thing you can go listen to as for why but this week we're back with a whole bunch of horror movies to talk about what's up george
1: Nothing much, just uh, living in this new reality that we got going.
0: This isn't cast. This isn't like making an opinion on the protests, but the fact that they went outside and protested just ended the quarantine for a lot of people because people were already getting sick of it and going outside before the protests, and now it's like really hard to tell people to stay at home and do nothing, especially people who are like right-leaning, obviously, and say like, no, you can't go outside when they can turn around and look at people on the other side of the political spectrum protesting in the streets. Right. So I think it's just like effectively over at this point for most people. Yeah.
1: And between that and the World Health Organization backtracking a lot of what they said in the beginning with uh, asymptomatic people aren't spreading the virus and certain things. I mean, it, that information changes week to week, but it seems like everybody's just, <laughs> everybody's just done with it.
0: Yeah, I'm still working at home. I'm happy to do it because I'm saving so much money on gas. But I went up to Big Bear, California, over the weekend with uh, my girlfriend Kelsey. I was saying my girlfriend Kelsey for the listeners, not George. Because <laughs> I've been dating her for five years. George has been her countless times. But uh, we, we just want to take a little vacation. So that is like honestly probably one of the most right-leaning towns in america after going there like every restaurant had fox news on and everyone in it was like actively watching fox news which was like Mm -hmm. a little weird i don't ever go out and like watch people watch the news usually so that was odd but they had their uh barbers open they have two barbers in town and both of them were open so i finally was able to get a haircut and the most exciting thing that happened george was our neighbors at the uh Village we stayed at, I guess, uh, yeah. burned down one of the cabins. <laughs> <laughs> like the whole so thing place... was
1: engulfed in flames, or what?
0: All right, all right. Let me back up. So we stayed at this place called Noon Lodge. It was great. It was amazing. uh It's like five cabins, five or six cabins. Actually, it's like eleven cabins, and they're all around one area. They have. It's beautiful. It's, like, really nice. It's not dumpy. Like, when you think of cabin, you think of, like, camping quality. Mm -hmm. It's very nice and not that expensive, which was the criteria Kelsey was looking for (laughs) for this trip. They have, like, in-ground gas line fire pits, three of them. They have a giant fireplace that's outside, uh, and they also have, like, two grills with in-ground gas. So, you never really have to... Talk to any of the people who work there. Like when you get there, you go into the lobby, your key is waiting in an envelope with your name on it, but then they have a phone number you can just text the guy who owns the place and he'll come and do whatever you want. If you need the key to turn up the fireplace, he'll just give it to you. Or if you need help with anything, they were like really attentive. But Saturday night, we were grilling using the grill, and there are two grills. So this group of people from Malibu comes down. And they were like, I don't, I don't like to cast judgment on people I don't know, but they were like extremely massive douchebags, <laughs> no, no question. They were talking about like they were, they were comparing and contrasting uh, architects from Malibu, and they were all white, but wearing oversized sweatsuits and really black and red gaudy Jordans. Mm-hmm. So, I, I'm sure I painted a very accurate picture in your head about what kind of people these were um but they were doing the thing where they were grilling some food like fish which was very smelly and disgusting (laughs) thanks a lot and then they were also going and cooking in their cabin so they ran up to the cabin they started cooking bringing things down and i guess they got too drunk and forgot about it because this lady came down while everyone was kind of talking and she's like hey are any of you in cabin 15 (laughs) and the guy was like yeah we are and she was like, oh, it's on fire. So the guy starts like <laughs> sprinting up to the cabin. And I'm laughing because no one got hurt. And there was just like flames coming out of the kitchen window. And there are firefighters there. And the hilarious thing is Kelsey and I had gone up to our cabin like four times and heard the beeping of the fire truck but and the, the smoke alarm. But we were like, oh, someone's backing up a truck. No big deal. And we couldn't see their cabin from our cabin. So I don't know what happened, but those people pieced the fuck out like almost immediately we did not see them the rest of the weekend i mean if you burn (laughs) if you burn down
1: the place you're staying in you kind of have to (laughs) get out of there i think i think you you should just pack it in and call it a day at that point
0: yeah and it was majorly damaged like fire burned off some tiles of the roof and was kind of like peeking through it wasn't like a quick little grease fire or anything like that so that was uh, really fun to watch because we were both pretty drunk at that point because my like classic move over this trip was putting the fireplace on full blast and then just playing my Switch by it. And then I got this really good whiskey. It was great. It's really relaxing. So it was hilarious to me and Kelsey. And the lady The lady who came down didn't work there. She was the next door neighbor who like came by and was like, oh, fuck, everything's on fire. And she came down to <laughs> talk to us she was really nice she was like man i bet they're gonna have to pay for it isn't that hilarious i bet they're so rich and like dying laughing (laughs) so that was a wild weekend i had
1: yeah sounds like it something always interesting happens with you jimmy
0: oh yeah i know it's great (laughs) but because we took last week off i actually have some fun movies and games to talk about this week but first we have a huge news story that just broke yesterday evil dead is officially back a new movie and i'm feeling kind of mixed on this one so far i'm not gonna lie but bruce campbell was just doing an interview with this magazine called empire and he said that a new movie called evil dead now is coming as soon as it's practical and it's being written and directed by lee cronin who was hand picked by sam raimi after writing and directing the hole in the ground last year it's going to have a female protagonist it's probably coming sooner than we think like i mentioned because it's been in production for about a year and uh there's no ash it's like a completely new story um i i don't know <laughs> i wish we got a sequel to Fetty alvarez's movie instead because it felt like we were building up to that you know
1: yeah um i don't know if it's you know might be related to like the timing of it Where I mean I know that's fresh in our minds for a lot of people who like the the franchise and go out and see these movies, but it was probably a decision of, well, that movie came out, you know, X amount of time ago and we need something new if we're gonna, you know, actually try to revitalize the franchise.
0: I don't know. I feel like it's at the height of its popularity. It had so much stuff happen with it this year. Like Bloody Disgusting called it the best horror movie of the 2010s that was a huge moment for it fetty alvarez has been doing a ton of podcasts about it and i've been talking to him about a video he's been sharing behind the scenes stuff he's also brought up that he would like to do the sequel uh and sam raimi said if he called him up he would let him do it immediately so i guess that's the one good thing about this new evil dead movie it's not like it's not a reboot it's taking place in the same universe but they're letting this new writer director put his own twist on it so it's an identical situation to evil dead 20
1: yeah which yeah i mean that made it you know definitely uh let it have its own identity and, and kind of stand out amongst uh you know that series of movies so it's always good to have you know a new fresh take in it i guess he seems i haven't seen the hole in the ground but it seems to have fairly positive reviews like you were saying i'm gonna
0: watch it now also i thought it was like a child possession movie but it's actually about a changeling okay uh so that made it immediately more interesting to me because we've just had so many child possession movies in the past year
1: most of them bad the prodigy terrible
0: (laughs) i mean child's play 2019 yeah not really possession but i just want to bring up that it's it sucks um Yeah, but Hole in the Ground is a Changeling movie. A24 distributed it. Um, He is an Irish filmmaker, so I'm going to say that it was probably one of those weird horror movies that the Irish government paid for that we talk about all the time. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just going to guess because it was picked up at a festival. But um, I just – I don't know. It's weird because the Evil Dead franchise has really – it's – Continually gotten to a point where it feels like it's time for a good sequel, and then it just doesn't happen. Like, we got Mia in Evil Dead 2013 set up very well to take on Deadites, nothing comes from that. Ash versus Evil Dead is canceled after season three. You've got Kelly, you've got Pablo, you've got Ash's daughter, you've still got Ash set up completely to have a movie follow that up with the Deadite apocalypse, and Bruce Campbell's like, nah, I'm gonna retire. <laughs> and then now we're just starting over once again. It's it's really weird. I I keep going back and forth because I I always am down for more Evil Dead. And it doesn't bother me that Ash isn't going to be in it. Like, it's making some people want to cut their eyes out with a fork that Ash isn't going to be in this. Right.
1: The last one also didn't have him in it and was, you know, one of the stronger entries in the franchise. And,
0: of course, you got the usual dumb fucks who are saying, Oh, I won't see anything if it's got a female protagonist. Go woke, go broke. It's like... I don't understand how having a woman in your lead role is going woke. Yeah. I mean, that's just ridiculous. They're saying it'll bomb. It's like, well, the last evil dead didn't bomb. It was, ex- it was not extremely profitable. It was profitable enough. Uh, and it had a female protagonist. So like th- that's just, if that's how you feel, you're, you're, you're wrong. You're just like, it's not even really an opinion at that point. You're just wrong. and You need to fix your opinion. But I don't know. It felt like we were really onto something with Ash vs. Evil Dead. It felt like we were really on something with Evil Dead 2013. And now we're back at the beginning. But I don't think we're going to have to wait too long for this movie. I feel like it'll be out by the end of next year. Or early 2020. Like probably around the summer. Or, yeah. Or it'll be in January 2020. Because Sony has taken that slot for the past three or four years. And uh, it's been not that bad. I mean, the grudge sucked. But their other January movies were totally good. Yeah, I
1: mean that might be a good good time actually, you know, if the theaters start opening back up and everything starts to normalize in a way where people are going out. It you know, it might being one of the first movies out when things are back up and running might allow it to get like a pretty inflated box office and, and actually do pretty well.
0: I really like that Sam Raimi has sort of become this character in the horror world where he finds new directors and gives them a ton of money and then boosts their movies. Like with crawl, he was all over that movie, but all he did was produce it. You know, he Mm -hmm. found that uh, Alexander Aja is his name, Aja or something. I forgot it in my video and I had to like do a zoom in (laughs) on the Google of his name, but he found him. He did the Hills of eyes remake, which is better than the original by like a lot. And so he brought him back into horror, helped him do Crawl. He found um, Nicholas Pesci, I think is his name, to do The Grudge. Obviously, that didn't work out as well as a lot of people would have hoped. But it was still cool that it was a young and upcoming indie filmmaker. Now we're getting Lee Cronin. So I think that's really cool. And apparently, he's taken a huge shine to him because Lee also did one of the shorts in that 50 States of Fright Queeby show that Sam Raimi created. Oh, really? Yeah, so he's he's giving him some more experience other than this Evil Dead, uh, Evil Dead movie. But also, also we talked we didn't talk about this. What do you think of the title Evil Dead Now?
1: Uh, I don't love it personally. Um, I mean, I think it's better than the naming convention of you know just taking the original title and then putting the year that it came out after it, like Evil Dead 2013 and Evil Dead and you know Halloween and Halloween. So I think you have to have some kind of name after it, but I don't I don't know if now is the right one.
0: Yeah, so it seems like okay, we gotta we gotta talk around this, George. So I haven't verified this, but we might know where the movie is taking place. And I think it's going to have based on that, like a a, sort of anti capitalist type vibe, anti capitalism thing. Right. Because Evil Dead Now kind of feels like a marketing deal, right? Yeah. That's how it's kind of coming off to me. I I get why they don't want to put a number on it because only one movie in this franchise has a number. Just, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And the last time they didn't use the title Evil Dead, it really bit them in the ass because Army of Darkness tanked big yeah. time. And it's too soon after Evil Dead 2013 to just do Evil Dead once again. Um, so... I I don't know. It is is a weird title, but it, like, sticks in your head. It's like Evil Dead Now. You know? It's, like, quick and snappy.
1: Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I just... I don't love it, but, I mean, you know, we're all still going to see the movie regardless, so...
0: Yeah. Uh, I really like the idea of it becoming sort of an anthology. I think that's cool. Or it's, like, every movie is just a completely original story in the same universe. Yeah, I would love that. Because then... Yeah, like, every filmmaker will probably add some element to the mythology and then subsequent filmmakers can say oh i like this idea from evil dead 2013 and like oh i like this idea from ash versus evil dead and i like this idea from evil dead 2 and they can make their own little twist on the universe because as long as the necronomicon ends up somewhere it's very simple for shit to pop off
1: right and especially when the series almost has that feel to it historically since Evil Dead 2 into Army of Darkness, they're both extremely different films. You know, One's a straight-up horror movie, the other one's almost a medieval comedy. So it is definitely a franchise that can wear a lot of masks and and change the kind of genre and the placement fairly easily. So I think taking it in that direction where people can have a lot of creative control on it will make this franchise pretty interesting to, to watch going forward.
0: Yeah, I really hope after... Um, Dr. Strange, Sam Raimi directs a fucking horror movie. I know, I know Dr. Strange is the first Marvel horror movie. I do not believe that for a second. No. Like, not even a little bit. I, I don't really care. But after that, I want him to direct a horror movie because it's like he's going decades between doing stuff. At this point, it's like, dude, please, you're a great director of horror movies, come direct one. But... That's about it on the Evil Dead Now Updates. Do you want to talk about everything that's going on in the horror industry right now, George? Let's get on <laughs> a slippery slope. Yeah, might might as well uh, put our two cents in. So if you guys haven't heard, some big brands in the horror industry, namely Fangoria, Rebellor, and their parent company, Cinestate, are absolutely falling apart right now because uh like an expose i guess is what you would call it was posted over the weekend revealing some like very detailed accounts of mismanagement and sexual harassment and just generally bad shit that's happening on sets for uh cinestate movies like uh, satanic panic the example they gave there was the girl's name is like ruby modine or something she's in the movie she had to have a sex scene in the movie, and the person who was supposed to do it dropped out. So then they found out that the production assistant's roommate was like a fanboy of this actress. So they hired him to do the sex scene with her, which she like voiced multiple times, was really fucked up. And they still made her do it, which that's bad. They had a uh, actual like convicted rapist who's, I guess in jail for being a rapist as a producer on set for quite a few movies. And they dealt with onset harassment from uh, one of the actors in VFW. And I guess nothing was done about it. And it forced one of the people he harassed to quit. And the problem is, other than all of this being bad, the guy at the top, Dallas Saunier, he, I guess, knew about this. And so did his right hand lady. And generally did nothing about it. So, long story short, Fangoria, which has worked really hard to be a progressive voice in the industry obviously a lot of that is being dismantled because their parent company is generally evil right now. And all the podcasts on the Fangoria podcast network have been taken down another podcast or they've left the network. Another podcast host was outed in a pretty huge way, but nothing's been said about that. So I don't want to get too deep into it. So there's like generally just upheaval going on. And I really think it's all coming down to, How clicky the horror community, quote unquote, is, and how like protective of friends people who are higher up in it tend to be. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah. Um. I mean, I think that's basically how any kind of you know systemic abuse kind of starts, where one person does it and they get their friend involved, and then everybody kind of you know covers each other's backs, and it becomes this social norm and then you know these big horrible incidents like this come out, and uh, I, I mean at least the good thing to come out of all this. I mean it's horrible events that's happened to everybody, but it seems like there is you know this is going to voice at least some change. And there's been some like you were saying massive upheaval in terms of upper management and um, you know contributors. So really you know you just hope that going forward that this will create a, a lasting change that can kind of you know everybody. Can come out of it smarter and stronger
0: i completely agree with that and i can say as someone who has like a youtube channel i've always sort of felt like an outsider to the like main top horror click because I mean you could just tell that they just the people higher up don't look at youtube as like worth paying attention to unless it's something like dead meat or found flicks where they literally can't ignore it because it's channels with over a million subscribers you know then they have to pay attention
1: and that that's probably just a you know an established idea of you know if you've been in the industry for so long you're used to you know other form other mediums being the main source that you go to you know critics in established magazines not necessarily, you know, the guy on YouTube who puts a, sets up a camera and talks about a movie for 10 minutes.
0: Right. I feel like there's this like stigma against it where a lot of these people think all you do is literally that just set up a camera and then you talk for 50, 15 minutes and then throw it up on YouTube and that's all you do. But there's a lot more work that goes into it for most people who are successful. Um, I can say that like, you know it is really actually encouraging that despite the fact i haven't received help from virtually any of these people except for john squires at bloody disgusting uh he's written up a couple of my videos before and we met him at salem horror fest two years ago and he was really interesting to talk to um he's really the only person who's helped me out other than ryan turek who's a host at shockwaves podcast and also vice president at blumhouse he's not necessarily he's never really given me info but he's helped steer me in the right direction and when leaks happen and stuff like that he did an interview for my channel but other than that it's like i actively talk to a lot of these people and it always just feels like they're looking at me as a fan and not a peer but i will say the silver lining here is that like i didn't have help from a lot of these people but i've been able to build a channel that has uh, 25,000 subscribers i am like a pretty prominent voice in the halloween community which is great because that's my favorite movie and i did that without really any help from anyone that was all just me so it is proof that if you just work hard pay attention to what people around you are doing and learn what you can you'll probably succeed but you just might not get recognition from the people that you want to be peers with and i think just people need to realize that's okay you know like This community is so clicky that it's like I understand it can be frustrating because it was frustrating for me. But it's like if they're not going to give you the approval that you're seeking, that shouldn't deter you from what you're doing. You know, it's it should just make you work harder because eventually they might be looking up to you, especially with something like YouTube.
1: And it's also also a matter of like you know you have to be really careful about you know who your allies are and (laughs) you know get to know somebody before you accept their help or before you get involved with them, because, you know, who knows what kind of, you know, they could be helping you one minute and then that, you know, they could not, not necessarily be the, the most savory character.
0: But yeah, it's like, it's nice to see that up top the tree is shaking a little bit and the bad apples are falling out. It seems like we don't know the total fallout of all this. I really hope that the Fangoria brand can, maybe eventually spin off and be its own thing but i feel like that's less concerning than some sort of you know kickback for the people who were abused on set and lost jobs and apparently people had to work like 18 to 20 hour days on satanic panic like those people deserve back pay because this producer who's in jail right now for being a rapist he apparently was bullying people into not putting in overtime hours he was changing their time stamps on uh the time cards and he signed the checks so he could just do that without any punishment and i feel like it's a little disingenuous for a lot of people to be like well i hope Goria makes it through this when like yeah it sucks that that magazine might now be a victim but the actual victims right it's more important
1: more important to take care of them and to you know hear them out and actually create change from this than to keep around an established magazine that you know is doing these disgusting practices
0: yeah so i saw um his name's damien i forgot his last name i think it's mefe he was the devil guy in haunt he was also the sack head in stranger's prey at night he did a good job in that role despite the fact that that movie is (laughs) terrible um He was saying that the horror community isn't a community. It's just a bunch of groups and there's people who just generally like horror movies and have a passion for it. And I feel like that's where me and you have always sat,
1: you know? Right. I mean, there's definitely people that like a specific, you know, subgenre or this or that. And I think there's also people, you know, like us that just kind of, you know, think it's interesting and it, It does speak on social issues, and there's a lot of variety, and so it's really, you know,
0: it's all about what you like. Like The whole point of our show is us to just talk about stuff we like and share our actual opinion, and I feel like we've been over-careful in the past of, like, not looking too opinionated in case any of these people listen, but now it's like, I don't give a fuck. Obviously, no one's too important to be taken down, and that's what I think we were always scared of, you know?
1: Yeah, and it turns out that, you know, those people that (laughs) were at the top were you know, not, not good people in the end.
0: Yeah. So hopefully the people who did wrong get what's coming to them and the genre can heal these massive sores that have been plaguing it for most of 2020. And obviously before that, like, because I remember right after we graduated college was honestly the best time it's ever felt to be a horror fan for me personally. I remember like we found all these cool movies on VOD that had come out in the years prior or right around that time. We were going to all these cool local events, we had movies to look forward to, and we weren't even aware of a lot of these people now right. who are coming out of the woodwork and being terrible. We 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 just liked movies and that's that's just what I've been trying to get back to. I mean, obviously I've been doing more videos than Halloween. I've been doing scream videos and evil dead. Obviously, they're going to do a little worse with people because my audience is so Halloween centric. But I'm just talking about what I want to talk about now. It's like it's 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 sucks to be walking on eggshells all the time. So I all these other people were so careful and they still weren't able to hide that they were bad people. So I hope people have faith that we're good people (laughs) and enjoy listening to us talk about our favorite horror movies and games. That's all I got on that.
1: Yeah, I, I think that pretty much covers it.
0: Okay, so let's get into Okay, so let's get into what we actually watched over the last week. George, I'm gonna let you start. I'm gonna I'm gonna switch it up. What did you watch and play? Uh so really
1: don't have much on my watch list for this last week. Um the one the one major standout for me was I found this Mothman documentary on uh, Amazon Prime called Uh, the mothman of point pleasant and this that's where he lives and uh i thought it was awesome so it's like definitely this very low budget uh film the i think like total producer director all that is like less than five people it has original an original score original animation uh, they talk to, like, a bunch of local historians and people who run, like, cryptid museums in the Point Pleasant area. Uh, just a lot of, like, really cool, like, grassroots normal people who just like Mothman making a movie. And, uh, you know, a
0: lot of interesting stories
1: and characters. I, I just really adored this.
0: I need to watch it because I've been on this Mothman game for a long time couple of years now ever since uh, fallout 76 was announced and i like saw his big moth i was like what the hell is that <laughs> so i deeply researched him and i hadn't even heard of this but it's crazy because i feel like mothman and cryptids are so in the zeitgeist right now but i've never even seen anyone talk about this once again you're, you're like hot on the pulse <laughs> I, I don't this isn't brand new right uh, i think it came out in 2017 so i think it's a couple years yeah. old crazy so i really want to watch it where did you see it it's on amazon
1: prime so it's included in prime membership um it talks about (laughs) primarily the mothman um like i was saying with testimonials from people who said to have encountered it and kind of retelling of old stories with you know certain animations and things like that uh also they do a little bit of this um kind of alien turn too where they talk about this cryptid called the smiling man that's pretty creepy
0: Oh, I've heard of that. I've heard of that. Okay, that's that is really creepy. <laughs>
1: so there's a lot of cool, cool stuff, especially if you like you know anything crypto related. I, I would say this is a must watch.
0: Okay, that's awesome, dude. Um, I need to check that out. So I watched a new movie called Becky. <laughs> Have you heard of this?
1: Yeah, I saw a little bit of this. Uh, this is the Kevin James as a as a Nazi movie.
0: Yeah, so this movie was announced, I guess, as it was coming out. And ironically, it was it's a VOD movie, but it's playing in a lot of drive-ins right now, and it's doing pretty well, it seems like. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the, the real draw here is Kevin James is playing a neo-Nazi who has his little squad of people, and he sees them as his children. And he escapes from prison with them, uh, and he goes to this lake house where Lulu Wilson and her dad, who's played by Joel McHale, are – they're, they're really going up there because the mom in the family died of cancer. Lulu Wilson turned into a hardcore little emo kid. And she's a uh, she's like really feisty. Mm-hmm. And Joel McHale's like, we're keeping the lake house. But here's my new fiance. And obviously, she's pretty upset about this. Then the neo-Nazis show up. They want a key that was in the basement that Lulu Wilson found. And she does like Home Alone style murders on these people <laughs> so did you check this out yet I haven't
1: uh watched it yet uh I mean I like you know everybody involved I think Lulu Wilson's kind of a pretty strong up-and-comer she's been in a lot of uh you know good horror movies so far for being so young um Joel McHale I really like I mean Community is like probably one of my favorite shows Kevin James I think King and Queens is pretty, pretty underrated so all these uh names I'm liking
0: I gotta say I enjoyed this movie but it is extremely flawed. It's one of those where Mm -hmm. I don't want to like, I don't want to dig too deep on it, obviously, because it's not trying to be deep, but there's a few problems. First one is, so Simon Pegg was originally supposed to play the neo-Nazi leader and he dropped out for a scheduling conflict. So they got Kevin James and you can totally tell that he throughout the entire thing. He's not really selling it because he obviously doesn't want to be seen as a typecast neo-Nazi. I think,
1: Yeah, I mean, that, you know, makes sense traditionally, uh, you know, in family movies and probably doesn't want to sour his image or, you know, become a meme or anything like that.
0: Yeah, and it feels weird calling this a missed opportunity, but Joel McHale's new fiancé is black and that's never addressed ever once in the entire movie by a neo-Nazi. So, like, you'd think there'd be a racism angle at all with some sort of commentary considering that it's a white supremacy group. Right. And they're home invading on a, a black woman and her kid but so they they completely dodge that i'm sure that's another kevin smith change um you never find out what the key opens either which is really dumb because <laughs> that's the whole reason he's there and she, lulu wilson obviously the thing with lulu wilson's character becky is that she just wants to murder them Mm-hmm. really it's more of a catharsis thing for her you never really get the impression that she never has like a redemption moment with her dad she's just like oh fuck i gotta go after these uh neo-nazis because my mom is dead so that's kind of saved by the fact that the kills are awesome she she does the remember in piranha 3d when ving rames has the boat propeller yeah and he's, she does that to a guy which is cool <laughs> She stabs a guy through the neck with a ruler, which is awesome. She runs over someone with a lawnmower, which is pretty cool too. And the gore effects are all great. They're practical. All that's cool. Yeah, mostly. There's a little bit of CGI blood. It's noticeable, but the actual effects are practical, so I'll give him a pass on that. But there's no resolution and it sets up a sequel. It's like you really think you're gonna get a sequel <laughs> on your VOD movie that right. shows that drive ins made two hundred grand? <laughs> like it pissed me off, but I think it was worth watching overall. I yeah. gave it, I give it a, the hardest three-star rating I think I could ever give. Like,
1: just barely a three?
0: Yeah. It's just, like, right It's right right on the right down the middle. So, 2.5, <laughs> 2. I guess. 2.5. 5 out of 10. It was worth watching once.
1: Yeah. it's probably something I'm going to check out at some point this week.
0: This guy named Apex in it, he's, like, seven feet tall. Mm-hmm. And he has this internal struggle about, like, should I kill the kid? Should I not kill the kid? That's kind of interesting, I guess. It's it's six bucks to rent it, so it's not gonna, you know, feel like you really wasted your money if you Mm -hmm. don't like it, and it's ninety minutes, so it's a pretty open and shut type movie.
1: Yeah, I mean, seems seems like you're saying fairly run of the mill. I mean, at least it's you know getting some use out of those drive-in theaters.
0: It says here you've been playing a game I'm actually interested in, Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition. Can you tell me about this Japanese (laughs) RPG?
1: Yeah, so uh, Xenoblade Chronicles originally uh, came out on the Wii, and this was like a part of these three JRPGs that uh, a lot of people in America were kind of begging to have them localized and come to the Wii. And I think Xenoblade was kind of the one that received the most critical acclaim and the most attention amongst uh, people who've played these. And so this uh, Switch port is kind of the you know, the definitive edition, they update the graphics, they do a few quality of life changes. Um, But basically it's, you know, it's a massive JRPG on your handheld. So I've been having a lot of fun with it so far.
0: How many hours have you played?
1: Uh, I have about 13 hours logged right now. Um, About like level 25-ish. And I mean, the majority of my time is kind of been just doing... uh, like fetch quests and just kind of grinding out levels there is the story structure is kind of weird because there's like always a dotted line on your map that will lead you to like the next story objective but you can do side quests along the way so that you're not like under leveled during those sequences
0: the combat's like a mix between a traditional jrpg and final fantasy 15 from what i remember is it still like that? Yeah,
1: so the combat like you're saying, I would say it like most clo- closely resembles Final Fantasy 15. So the like special moves are called arts and so you have basically a bar of arts that you rotate through and use those. Some of them are like based on your position. So like Shulk has a backslash attack that does like double damage if you attack someone from behind or he has like a Another art that if you hit somebody from the side, it does extra damage and, like, slows them. So there's, like, some positional-based buffs you get from doing certain attacks. And there's, like, some synergy with amongst uh, your characters because you usually have a team of three characters that you're fighting with. So the combat's, like, actually really deep and fun, and that's kind of what's been keeping my attention. The story isn't really anything special so far to me, um, but I think that the like the main weapon, the Monado, is cool. Uh, it's unlocking like all these new powers along the way that are adding like extra depth to the combat uh the environments like all look really grand like they're massive in scale and like pretty detailed I've, i've really only played it uh in handheld so i don't i don't know how it looks in like 1080p or whatever it upscales to on the tv but it looks really good in handheld to me
0: that's awesome i played xenoblade 2 xenoblade chronicles 2 and then I played the version of this on 3ds and I got pretty far in it I really liked it I don't know why I stopped playing it I think it's just because it looked pretty shitty but people were complaining a lot about this game running in 540p but I feel like on a 720p handheld you're not really going to notice that big of a drop on something like that the one game I'm really waiting for them to do is Xenoblade Chronicles X because it's much more mature like it's it's about a dinosaur planet and you end up with a mech halfway through the game and instead of swords, you're using guns in it. Mm-hmm. But it's their auto-shoot. It's like locking on and then you're auto-shooting guns. But this game seems really cool. I do also, yeah, like the Monado a lot. I think the that splash screen that's like the, the Windows XP background with the sword in the middle, yeah. that's like really iconic. <laughs> um, and I think the combat is a cool evolution. It's like a good half-step between turn-based and like action combat because right. i feel like I, f- I just feel like at this point turn-based combat is antiquated when final fantasy
1: right when they've done something else the people who basically popularized it um yeah is doing something different than you know it might be time time to change a little bit but yeah I, i've been enjoying my time with it um i think it's supposed to be like 50 or like 60 hours long so okay um you know not not the longest JRPG in the world. Um, this one does actually add, there's like a extra like 10 or 15 hour epilogue that I don't think was in the original Wii version. So Yeah, I read that. That's true. Uh, it's
0: got a new add-on. Yeah,
1: so if you're interested, you know, if you like the Wii version, you want to get to that new content, uh, you know, I think it's worth a play. And if it's a game that you were interested in on the Wii and never got around to it, I think the, you know, this is probably the addition to pick up.
0: I've been playing an open world game two on Switch, uh, Borderlands 1. I got that collection, which is like a really good deal because you get Borderlands, Borderlands 2, and Borderlands the Mm pre-sequel with all the DLC for all of the games. And the Borderlands version of the first game is like the remastered one they did last year with combat upgrades, like new weapon upgrades, and they redid the final boss battle mm-hmm. that game was really ahead of its time even with the updates if you strip those away i still think it would feel like this it's just really cool being able to have an open world first person shooter like that on switch there's a lot of graphics options too you can like change the fov oh really auto aim settings you can fuck around with and you can also change the sensitivity like completely you can turn on motion controls like to just fine-tune your aim if you want and it runs at rock solid 720 30 and i watched some videos and the other two games do as well so took a while for 2k to get their games on the switch but it seems like they did a really good job with the port from everything i've done like i'm I'm just playing through the entire series of those games
1: I yeah think. i'm a pretty big fan of um the first one i i played through in its entirety at launch um second one i also played um uh, but i never really got into any of the dlcs really Um, so have you, have you gotten into those yet or you beat the main story or what?
0: No, I'm towards the end of the main story in the first game. And then there's like a zombie Island DLC that I Googled and everyone's like, this is like one of the best Borderlands DLCs of all time. So I'm going to jump right into that and then finish all the DLC there and then jump into two. I've gotten really far into, but never beaten it. So I'm excited because this is just like the perfect game to have on a handheld because I can play it while I'm watching stuff. It's not really doesn't command a lot of your attention, especially later in the game when you're more leveled up because you're right. insanely overpowered. When your
1: builds are completely broken and you're just mowing down people like without any effort at all.
0: Exactly, exactly. So I want to hear about this game, Dark Side Detective.
1: <laughs> yeah, so this game actually went on sale recently on Steam. I'm not sure if it still is or not. Um, but it's made by the, I think the company is Spooky Doorway. And so the game is essentially you play as a detective in uh, Twin Lakes and you handle all of the like spooky cases for the town. So um, it's it's nine cases. They kind of vary in length, but I beat the first six, which is like the base game in about like two and a half hours. So it's pretty short, a little indie game. It's a point and click adventure uh, it's filled with a ton of like references and like funny moments and puzzles. Uh, it's just a really like fun, cool indie game, especially if you like the source material and you know you can recognize the references that they're making. Like the second level takes place in a uh, library that's haunted by a bunch of ghosts, and so oh. one part of the like puzzle is both. Uh, Edgar Allan Poe and Lovecraft are arguing about which one of them is the better horror writer. And in order to get past them, you have to bring them a book that's like scarier than anything that either of them have written. So you have to trick the librarian into giving you her book, which is like basically a Twilight knockoff and give it to them, and they're like, oh yeah, this thing is the most horrifying thing I've ever read, it's terrible, and then they get out of there. <laughs> That's
0: awesome. I really like that. It's out <laughs> on Switch, too, so shit, might have to grab that. Yeah,
1: what, what really sold me on it was the um, the like last DLC mission, I guess, like the the third uh, of the nine, like the last three that they added, is called the Bates Motel. Bait is spelled like fish bait, and I thought that that was just <laughs> hilarious, and I was like, well, it's time to pick that
0: up. <laughs> You're like, haha, you have <laughs> earned my money. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, they earned my money. I'm going to buy it.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's totally fun. And like I said, short. It's like, you know, three hours max, I think, to get through the whole thing.
0: Oh, okay. I like that. Well, speaking of three-hour games, I played Bioshock 2, Minerva's Den. So I've been wanting to play this for a long time. It's from the guys who made Gone Home which is a really great environmental storytelling game. And so it was Bioshock and Bioshock 2. So I was like, this this is like the perfect pairing for them. And it did not disappoint. I played it through the um, Bioshock 2 Remastered, which I owned because I owned Bioshock 2. Mm -hmm. And it's like a short three-hour story where you play as a big daddy called Sigma. And a guy named Porter is helping him find basically a a computer called the Thinker. And he's... He's going to bring the plans to the surface and make the computer. And Porter's former partner, Wall, is the antagonist. It's a very, like, this is a human being type thing. It's not like this nebulous character who's just talking to you. You see him throughout the story. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to spoil the ending because it's actually really cool. Like every Bioshock game, it has a twist. But they give you all the guns right away. They give you some really cool plasmids. There's a laser gun introduced. There's a plasmid that... You just use the Plasmid to hack turrets. You don't have to actually play the minigame, which mm-hmm. is nice. And the story is not padded at all. You get to go to some cool new areas, too. It's just kind of like a perfect little Bioshock game. Like, if they, if they release this in between 2 and Infinite, like, if you took the amount of time it took between those games mm-hmm. and then dropped it dead center, I feel like it'd be like perfect little experience to hold people over for the Infinite.
1: Yeah, this was one that I missed. Um, I've played the, all the mainstays in the Bioshock series, but like, like a lot of games and, you know, like the Borderlands franchise, I never really played any of the DLCs that came out for any of those. Um, but I've definitely heard, you know, time and time again, that this is like one of the best standalone DLCs ever made. So this is included in the, uh, like switch version, right? The switch collection of the Bioshock.
0: That's what I was going to say, because... The remasters of Bioshock fucking suck. They are they objectively look worse than the original games did, mm-hmm. but they don't run well on PC. If you go to the original games, so I would take the hit on frame rate, cuts it down to thirty, and just get the Bioshock collection on Switch because then you just get literally everything, and Bioshock Two and Infinite didn't, don't have any touch ups. They're just the original releases running at pretty much max settings at 7 20, 30 so they look amazing and yeah. you get all the dlc so i especially if you've played infinite and you played two playing the dlcs on the switch i don't think would be that detrimental to your experience
1: yeah and it's been a while since i've replayed that series so it might be time for a revisit just in general I'm
0: trying to go back through all the bioshocks because we're getting one next gen like it's announced the it's not from irrational games who are now called ghost story games they 2k basically made a new studio to make a new bioshock game which people were like upset about that but that's one of their biggest franchises <laughs> so yeah. I, I don't have any problem with that we don't get a lot of immersive sims anymore because people don't buy them which is fucking stupid but i'm glad bioshock's back because it's really fun it's just a really cool combat oriented immersive sim as is dishonored's dlc the knife of dunwall and which is a brick what did you think of these
1: yeah so this um was the the first time i played through these uh so i re you know replayed through dishonored and loved the story and heard that the these two dlcs knife and dumbwall which is a brigmore are basically a standalone dlc um but just split up into two parts and so these are basically uh you know same dishonored universe but you are playing as dowd who's kind of an integral character in the main dishonored story he's the one who kind of uh kills the empress and it you know creates the inciting incident that gets corvo uh in the trouble that he's in in dishonored one uh so this i thought this was actually a really cool dlc it gives you you know a lot of like background information on dowd makes a character that was already like kind of interesting in the original with you know just really makes him a lot deeper as a character and more interesting as you can see kind of his motivations and how he interacts with like his underlings all of his assassins and things like that Um, and then also the Witches of Brigmore adds a lot of, a lot more interesting characters with like the Delilah witch, the extra witch people, you go on like a pirate ship. There's a lot of, uh, like cool world building that they do in those two DLCs.
0: Yeah. I played them back when they came out right after I finished Dishonored, which is the best way to do it because they are really, there's a big challenge spike.
1: Yeah, definitely. The second, um, Witches of Brigmore is like definitely
0: thought like the three hardest dishonored levels i would say um yeah i agree do you remember i when i played this it was when we used to sit up in uh that room in my house that we used to call the xbox room Mm -hmm. and we would put our desktops in front of the couch sideways right and then put put the the monitors on top of it yeah (laughs) i was on top of of the controller yeah that's that's when i played dishonored's dlc so that was a long time ago
1: yeah i mean it's definitely old but i don't think it really shows its age at all i think those games are still fantastic
0: it's just like borderlands where that cell shading goes a long way yeah
1: definitely like taking an artistic style like that like making it stylized instead of just trying to be like realistic for the time i think kind of keeps it looking good for longer
0: arcane switched to their own engine after that game it used i think it was unreal or it might have been source that they were running the first one in Then they made an engine and for two and it it looks better. The lighting is improved, and I think it was a systems-based thing where they needed more bandwidth for systems, but it just runs shittier. Mm -hmm. Prey uses it as well. I wish they would have just used Unreal 4 because it's not an open world game. So you would never run into those weird issues. Right. But that's just like a very minor criticism of an overall Nearly perfect franchise, and I highly recommend all three books if no one's ever read them, because they're great and they're really quick page turner. Yeah, those
1: um, those also focus on doubt, right? Or at least one of them does. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, one of them does, and one of them is a prequel to the second one's DLC, I think. Okay. And yeah, I mean, like you can find them anywhere. <laughs> they're really cheap. They're like four bucks. Yeah, because <laughs> they're they're paperbacks. Uh, I like when Bethesda does that with their games. I wish they did a Prey one, which I thought Prey was completely dead, but it's coming back as a v. They're releasing a VR version. Oh, really? Of Prey? Yeah, it it got uh, leaked, so I'm excited for that. We're gonna go back to movies though, George. I'm gonna talk about Scream Resurrection, which is not a movie. It's a TV <laughs> show. <laughs> so, this came out last July. It's technically the third season of the Scream TV show, but ratings sort of dropped off for Scream in season 2 and then they did a Halloween special where they basically killed off every main character except for a couple of them. So that show kind of ended and then they renewed it on MTV and then Harvey Weinstein and the whole Me Too thing happened and mm-hmm. the, the that company lost the rights Dimension lost the rights to Scream. So it just kind of sat in limbo for a while cuz MTV was like are we allowed to release it? So it's that from It's 2017, I think, till 2019 last year. And they just put it on VH1 as a six-part series, two episodes a night over a weekend. And at first, I didn't like it. I thought it was just, like, coming at it from the perspective of I really liked the other Scream show. And I was like, why did they change it? And this is, like, woke. That's dumb. But Mm -hmm. after watching it, it really does feel like a Scream movie. So I like it now. I'd give it, like, a a three-and-a-half stars.
1: Have you seen it at all? I haven't watched any of this. Like, uh, I was a fan of the first season of the uh, other MTV franchise. I thought that that kind of did a good job of, like, modernizing and, like, making small updates to that style of uh, movie. But I think you were saying one of the actresses who was in The Punisher is, like, kind of a main character
0: in this one? What the hell's her name? Her name's Amy. And she has, like, her name's Georgia something in real life. Her name's Amy and The Punisher. She's great. She plays the goth chick. And the story in this one takes place in Atlanta, and it follows this kid named Dion. He's like the star quarterback a running back. He's a running back, whatever that means. I don't know football. Mm -hmm. He has a tragic past because on Halloween night when he's a kid, him and his, I guess, twin brother go into Tony Todd's uh, junkyard, and he has a Vietnam flashback and uses his hook hand – to kill one of the kids. Oh, my gosh. Which is fucking crazy. And he's wearing the, like, Scream Ghostface costume. So then when he when uh, Dion grows up, the Scream costume is used to kill off his friends and kind of reveal his past. There are some really cool twists along the way. Because, you know, Scream has always been 50-50. You get the Wes Craven angle, which is a great slasher. And then you've got the Kevin Williamson angle, which is trashy drama. Right. And... He was involved in this and you can definitely tell uh, that part of the story is covered. The kills in this show are extremely gory to the point where it's kind of slapsticky. Okay. There's a part where Ghostface is in an elevator and a guy is on the other side of the elevator door. And it's like one of those elevator doors that's kind of a cage. So he stabs the steak knife through the guy and then hits down on the elevator so that the knife goes down oh and like cuts the guy in half. It's, it's, like, cool, but it's just, like, crazy. Are the are the effects good? Yeah, they're all practical. There's no CGI blood. I thought that was really cool. It, I, the blood is, like, it looks like Party City blood, but there's a lot of it. So, <laughs> so it I'll take the off. Yeah. <laughs> and the really cool thing about this is that by being a six-episode series, I think, like, it fleshes out the side characters a lot better because then – When you know the side characters better, you're not positive who's going to die.
1: Also makes you care more when they aren't killed for, you know, fodder.
0: Yeah, and if they're fleshing out everyone, it's much harder to predict who the killer is, which I also think was important. And the Dion twist... Do you want me to spoil it? This is the weakest twist. I won't spoil the actual (laughs) killer or the main twist. Do you want me to spoil the dumb Dion twist? Sure. Okay, so when Dion... Everyone... Five, four, three, two, one. Going to spoil it now. Very minor twist spoiler. Okay. So Dion, when he went into the Tony Todd junkyard when he was a kid with his brother, his brother was Dion and he was Marcus, but he was like the quiet kid. And then Dion got killed by Hookman. And then Marcus took on Dion's persona and said, Marcus was killed by the Hookman. And... He grew up as Dion, and it worked because they were identical twins, so he could be the football player. Oh, my God. But a ga-
1: that's, that's hilarious, because a game that I have played recently had the exact same twist in it. <laughs> what game? <laughs> uh, okay, spoilers for a game that I played recently, Persona 5. Uh, of oh, the? This is in the... Uh, just for Royal, so... <laughs> Just for the royal version. Take that as you will. <laughs> if you don't want to hear any more, stop listening. But okay. there's a they added they added a new character. Two, three new characters with Royal. One of them is a girl who's like one grade below you and you <laughs> hang out with her like the whole game and she's a, a gymnast and her sister died. But like the twist of the like last palace is basically that uh she like her sister was actually the one that was better at gymnastics than her and was like good at that kind of stuff and when she was killed in a car accident she like basically just assumed her personality completely and (laughs) like felt bad that she was the cause of it so she just adopted her personality because she thought she was like the better sister
0: okay so Dion doesn't give a fuck i will say that he's just like no i am the star quarterback like Blah, blah, blah. A running back. Uh, sorry, football fans. But th- he has like a half brother who was one of the killers. There are many killers. Not many. There, there are a couple. One of the killers is great. I'm not even going to say anything about it. But one of the killers is his half brother uh, who sucks, I guess. I don't know. He, he was not able to be a killer for the entire show because he never met Dion's twin brother. But then at the end, he's just like, no, I met him once when dad took him over to my house. And like, <laughs> they just shoehorned I, in the interaction
1: at the very end of the show.
0: And it was like really dumb how he knew that it wasn't Dion. It was actually Marcus or whatever. It was it's just like really needlessly convoluted. <laughs> like I was like, wait, what? Huh? Uh, but it does, it fits in with the scream sort of background. They just did a bad job telling the story um also has multiple episodes that take place on halloween it's got good production value i wouldn't say great Mm -hmm. there's a lot of reused sets there's also a lot of cringy humor uh the way the characters all meet is they go to detention and then they're like we're like the breakfast club but ghostface is coming after us so we should be the dead fist club (laughs) and it's just like shut the the fuck up i mean that kind of cheesy
1: writing kind of like you know yeah, yeah, it fits. The, it fits. With the genre though.
0: They all are way too old to be in high school. Well, yeah. That's to be so, expected
1: with an MTV show.
0: Yeah, the way you find this is you go on Netflix and you go to the Scream show and it's season three. But it's just jarring as fuck to see them get the ghost face, the actual ghost face mask, and they got the uh original voice actor to come back. So it does it does feel like a good idea for Scream. And honestly, I think Scream would work better as an anthology show, where the only line is the ghost face mask and the mystery aspect to it Mm -hmm. but we're getting a reboot so i guess not (laughs) i think this is worth watching though like if it was a movie i'd give it another solid three stars out of five
1: i'll have to check this out too though
0: pretty much wraps it up for me i don't have anything else here Uh, i talked about borderlands i wasn't going to talk about that i did finish 13 reasons why george and it was very sad very sad, sad ending yeah a core character dies spoilers but uh and it just catches you out of nowhere and it's very tragic but they worked a lot into this season i will say i will say they they covered a real school shooting uh they covered um sex work related viruses aka hiv um they did schizophrenia so they got a lot in this season, and it was only 10 episodes instead of 13, which was the biggest problem with the other three seasons.
1: A lot of, of heavy-hitting uh, issues there. Very sure. Yeah, this
0: show, this, this show is like a complete disaster, but it's so much fun to watch. It's so much fun to watch. So I don't recommend it, but I also highly recommend it. <laughs> Take that as you will. Uh, that's going to wrap it up for episode 88 of Fear Frequency. We're on a roll here. I think, George, we're going to hit 100 by the end of this year, hopefully. <laughs>
1: We've said it before, but, but I think we might actually hit it this time.
0: Uh, well, the other podcasts seem to be dropping like flies. So if you want a weekly podcast where you hear the latest horror news and hear what some 27-year-olds are doing with their <laughs> lives, subscribe to the show. We're on Spotify. We're on Overcast. We're on Apple Podcasts. And if you leave us a five star review, we will read it on the show. Uh, I checked; we didn't have any new ones. So.
1: Oh, uh, I think we did have an email.
0: <gasps> we had an email. Now that I
1: think about it. Let's check the email. Okay. So we do. I'll edit this out. Don't worry. We did get an email from someone who's going as Film Time. We said, "Okay, my name is Film Time. I started listening to your podcast this week. Really enjoy them. Here's our movie request." Killjoy. It was made in 2000 and then sent us the poster for the movie. It said, Kind Regards, Film Time. And it looks like uh, so, so Killjoy it says, Killjoy a, a new urban horror and it has a clown on the cover with an ice cream truck and the tagline is he's not clowning around.
0: I'm going to watch this tonight while I play Borderlands. <laughs> so. Wow. I have never seen Letterboxd a graph like this it starts <laughs> with mostly one star ratings and then descends down towards higher ratings i've never seen this uh, friend of the show gory b movie gave it a half star and she says the title aptly describes the experience of watching this movie <laughs> i'm honestly really excited to check this out Thank, thanks for writing in film time film time, time it's a cool name i wonder wonder how he picked that up <laughs> who named who named their kid film time i don't know so he gets out his birth certificate definitely also matthew will whitworth matthew whitworth left a comment on my new evil dead video 20 minutes ago that said love the name of your podcast so that's great george came up with it i will not take credit <laughs> <laughs> so yeah Hope you guys had fun listening to this episode. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, you name it, at Jimmy Champagne, and you can find George on every platform I just listed except for YouTube at George Frizzart. Do you have any closing thoughts for the Fear Frequency fam?
1: No. See you guys next week.
0: Bye.